Hi, I'm Debbie from a DHB, aka Seamstress. I've just come home from another day of work as an essential service employee, where all my colleagues on the acute team now wear their own personalised set of scrubs. They look fabulous. They do the work at work so that others like you can remain safe at home. Now on to the podcast. Thanks for your message, Debbie. We appreciate you and your colleagues. I'm Indira Stewart. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. If you want to send in your own introduction or message, just download RNZ's Vox Pop app. It's very easy to use and it's available for both iPhone and Android and it's free. According to the government's Safe Travel website, there are still 22,000 Kiwis living overseas. So later, we're going to check in with a former RNZ journalist in London to hear how things are going over there. But first, let's get to the headlines. Yesterday, the number of active cases of COVID-19 declined for the first time since this outbreak began. Speaking to RNZ's 9 to Noon programme just before those numbers were announced, data scientist Dr John McDermott, who's been modelling the spread of coronavirus in New Zealand, said that if we got down to less than 60 new cases, it could mark a turning point. If we start seeing a number in the 50s, um, you say, yes, uh, we're on a downward trend. And then the day after tomorrow, if it's in the, you know, in the 40s, we, we can say we're on the path to eliminating the cases. Just a few hours after saying those words, Dr McDermott's hopes were realised. The number of new cases announced yesterday was 54. So, how excited should we be about this? The right phrase is cautiously optimistic. I think yes, we need to go through three phases. Uh, when you see the virus break out, you, you're on an exponential curve. That's what makes it so dangerous. It spreads so rapidly. The growth rate is massive. This, you need to move to a second phase where you just get linear growth, just a steady growth. It keeps going up, but not exponential. It's not out of control. That's where we are today. And the third phase is you need to see cases actually start falling. We've said it before, and we're going to keep saying it. We cannot rest easy just yet. We need to keep this lockdown tight for the entire four weeks. As Dr McDermott says, even if this is the beginning of a downward trend, it wouldn't take much to see cases start rising again. You get one outbreak, somebody not obeying the lockdown, a group getting together, and you can get a super spreader very quickly. So that is a possibility. There will always be that possibility, and the data can be untidy and unclean. Uh, But for the moment, we seem to be on track. Speaking of not following the rules, we've seen a few high-profile people failing to obey the lockdown. The highest profile is the Health Minister David Clark, who yesterday offered his resignation to the Prime Minister after disclosing he'd breached the lockdown twice. He apologised for his actions both before the Opposition Select Committee and in an interview on Morning Report. I've received lots of messages from people angry at my actions. Um, and I understand that and I can understand why they're angry. Um, I've um, had people uh, tell me they're frustrated. I know that people are making huge sacrifices. I've, I walked past some flowers uh, yesterday um, for uh, clearly for a man who's died. They were pinned on a fence um, and I know that his family won't have been able to attend his funeral. You know, that people are making huge sacrifices right now and I'm, you know, I'm embarrassed uh, at my actions. 
Speaking at her daily press conference, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern made it clear that if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, Dr Clark would have been sacked from Cabinet. He has made a massive mistake. Uh, what he did was wrong and there are no excuses for it. But I need to make decisions now in the best interest of New Zealand, disrupting our current plans to take on this global pandemic by removing the Minister of Health, in my mind, was not in the best interest of New Zealand. The opposition leader Simon Bridges backed Ms Ardern's decision, but only for the short term. The situation she's in, where she and New Zealand are in the middle of a health and economic crisis like we've never seen in our lifetimes. Uh, and so to uh, change ministers right at the moment, I, I can understand why she wouldn't. That said, uh, his position, I think, but more medium term, is, is terminal. Mr Bridges himself has faced scrutiny for regularly commuting from Tauranga to Wellington for meetings of the Opposition Select Committee. He says that travel is necessary due to the unreliable internet at his home. As well as Dr Clark, we also saw some high-profile rule-breaking from members of the Crusaders rugby team who were caught training at a park in Christchurch on Monday. It flies directly in the face of the advice that we're giving. And, um, you know, I would just say to uh, those who are in positions uh, like that that we are relying on everyone to role model the behaviour we need right now, and we are all in this together. And uh, I'm really asking on uh, for those, you know, for those uh, leaders within our sporting codes to join us in this because we can't do this alone. No one can be exempt. There's a wider message here. You personally might not be as influential as the health minister or as famous as the Crusaders, but you're still a role model to someone. Your kids, your friends, your family, even your neighbours, and none of us are above the rules. It's important that we all model the behaviour we need to keep that trend going down. Later on in her press briefing, Prime Minister Ardern discussed the Ruby Princess, a cruise ship which is believed to have triggered a cluster of cases of COVID-19 after it stopped in Hawke's Bay. I have asked Minister Parker to seek uh, legal advice from Crown Law uh, as to whether or not the Ruby Princess while in New Zealand fulfilled all of its obligations under our uh, laws because of course we are now suffering the consequences of cases here in New Zealand as a result of that cruise ship. Overseas there is big news in the UK after it was announced Prime Minister Boris Johnson had been shifted to intensive care after his coronavirus symptoms worsened. Number 10 said Mr Johnson remained in critical care but he has not been put on a ventilator and his condition was stable. The epicentre of the pandemic remains in the United States where as of this morning almost 12,000 people have now died from COVID-19. New York City is currently using refrigerated trucks as makeshift morgues and the state governor says there may need to be burials in public parks. The US Surgeon General Jerome Adams made these comments on Fox News. This is going to be the hardest and the saddest week of most Americans' lives, quite frankly. This is going to be our Pearl Harbor moment, our 9-11 moment, only it's not going to be localized. It's going to be happening all over the country. There is good news in some European nations. The daily number of deaths in Spain has fallen for its fourth consecutive day, while France and Italy are continuing to see steady reductions in the number of deaths. In most African nations, numbers of cases remain low, but there have been alarming increases in South Africa, which, as of this morning, now has more than 1,700 cases 
and 13 deaths due to the virus. Tens of thousands of New Zealanders have returned home since the COVID-19 outbreak began. But 22,000 Kiwis are still registered with the government's safe travel website as remaining overseas. Some are still desperately trying to return to Aotearoa, but many others have decided to ride out the pandemic where they are. We spoke to former RNZ journalist Al Hunt, who's currently living in London and has been speaking to Kiwis who've decided to remain overseas during the pandemic. Well, I think the first kind of sign that this was going to change all of our lives in a radical way was when a lot of New Zealanders here in London started thinking about whether they would rather be on this side of the world or go home. I'm fortunate enough to have steady work here and a dual citizenship. But a lot of New Zealanders had to make this heartbreaking decision of whether to stay put here and potentially face unemployment and a lack of social support or return home to New Zealand, but at the same time take the risk of the UK where coronavirus had a much more of an impact in terms of casualties and confirmed cases back to New Zealand with them. Coronavirus and the crisis is far more advanced stage here in the UK than it is in New Zealand, um, even though the formal lockdown requirements were really only introduced two weeks ago after New Zealand shut its borders. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was still a sense, I think, among many Londoners that they would be able to carry on living life as normal. And the social distancing measures weren't being recognised in public. I was in Clapham about two weeks ago on a weekend day and People were in the market stalls, kind of queuing up to buy succulents and take away coffees. And it was after images of those kinds of scenes from around London went viral on social media that Boris Johnson then had the press conference saying, we need to introduce strident lockdown measures. People shouldn't be outside their homes unless for essential goods and services. So with your current living situation, are you in a bubble with flatmates? And and what are some of your concerns on a personal level? Well, I'm lucky in many ways in that I've worked from home for the past six months. So a lot of that adjustment that people are having to make, I've already kind of been ahead of that curve. Uh, The difference is, is now that my flatmate is at home working with me, we've kind of had to learn to share the space and in some cases the internet connection where we both can't do video calls at the same time. Socially, I've been very lucky in terms of my parents who are perhaps at an at-risk group there in New Zealand where I feel the situation is much more contained. But the biggest impact that I've felt here has been the impact on people's employment entire industries here have just been gutted by the uncertainty. I suppose that's starting to be made apparent in New Zealand as well with the closure of Bauer magazines um, overnight, which I found really distressing. But I think the economic impacts of this, even as we come out the other side of this crisis, once the pandemic is contained, the economic effects, they're bound to be far-reaching in that Entire industries are being gutted and people won't necessarily have jobs to return to, even if they manage to hold on to them for the duration of the pandemic. That's a lot of people's source of anxiety right now is not only how to make money and work now, while there are these restrictions on everyone's movements and behaviours, but what will happen once that's no longer the preeminent concern. And what are some of the restrictions that have changed during the lockdown? Have there been any changes? Are people flouting the rules? 
Well, police have been given powers to stop the spread of coronavirus. They're able now to detain someone to be tested if they're believed to be infectious. And they do have the power to restrict your right to move around and be part of a gathering. For example, I was walking in the park by my house uh, yesterday and there was uh, two police officers fining, I believe, um, a group of men who'd I guess, hanging out in the park, not using it for exercise, you're only supposed to be seeing right now the people that you live with. Friends and family who are outside your household are off limits. If you're not living with these people that you're in public with, you should be two metres apart. And so the police, I think, have been attempting to kind of demonstrate the severity of the the crisis by showing that people who shirt those rules, uh, you know, will be punished. From a journalist's perspective, how do you feel about the way the pandemic has been covered in the UK? Um, and what stories are you working on at the moment? As an industry, we're all trying to figure out how to respond to something that is moving incredibly fast and we've never seen really before in our lifetimes. One of the particular kind of challenges that has come up for me in the kind of writing and work that I do, obviously there's a limit to how much of the news that people are prepared to read uh, just for their own kind of sanity. The amount of information that we can consume about coronavirus and the pandemic all over the world is is almost limitless. And what we're trying to figure out is what people want to read in opposition to that and whether people have the bandwidth and attention spans for stories on other subjects as well or whether it is coronavirus all the time. How much is too much? What is necessary? And how can we kind of serve audiences by giving them hopeful stories as well? On the weekend, someone was talking about this could potentially last six months. A sense of perspective for the future, I think, is going to be really important, particularly if these lockdown conditions go on for as long as they could. This has had an impact on everyone's lives, whether it is that they've been bereaved that their you know, loved ones have died of coronavirus or whether they're medical workers and they're kind of struggling on the front line or whether it is their parents trying to now homeschool their children as well as keep their jobs or if they're teenagers or uni students or people in their early 20s who are now just bored at home. So there's this entire kind of range of responses that are equally challenging in different ways. And so it's not just unfolding news journalism, it's also these lifestyle and culture stories that are reflecting the ways in which people are adjusting and at a rapid pace. A couple of the stories I've written recently about this is how book clubs were among the first to adapt because they were regularly scheduled and sort of semi-structured interactions that people were able to kind of move quite seamlessly onto video conferencing calls like Zoom and Skype. Um, Another story I'm writing is about an anonymous Instagram account that sprung up to share people's personal lives, everyday dramas of lockdown, just to create this sense of community and understanding that people will need to vent about the people that they live with. It's interesting to see all the different situations that people are in around the world uh, having to get through this. What do you think you'll take away from this experience Um, and what advice would you give to anyone back home? Well, I'm fortunate to be among one of the luckiest in this situation in that I don't have any underlying health issues. I can work digitally. 
my friends and family are safe and fit and well, and I don't have children or, for example, abusive relationship, the kinds of issues and, and challenges that this pandemic can really throw into sharp relief. Something that I will take away from this is that there's a lot in my life that I have to be thankful for. It has shown the need for these essential services to be prioritised and well-funded. We're seeing the NHS in the UK absolutely stretched to the limit. I hope that when we come out of this situation, the enormous sacrifice and service that um, they've put in under testing conditions and constraints and nominal support is remembered and rewarded. There's a lot of things that society has been taking, has outsourced to private sector in the past and in recent years that you hope will, will be remembered when we get out of this. And my advice for people back home I think New Zealand's response has been among the best in the world. Following the news coverage of each country's responses, New Zealand acted decisively with authority and with kindness as well to keep people at home. The messaging from the government um, compared to the messaging of the UK government here was so clear. It really met the coming threat on its terms and treated it with the gravity that it needed to. So I feel very happy to have my family in New Zealand. It looks like a good place to be from over here. Thanks for your time, Al, and a big shout-out to all those Kiwis living overseas. Our thoughts are with you. Ka kite koe apopo. We'll be back with you tomorrow. But until then, be kind. Kia homaru, kia kaha. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang and Sonia Sly. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. RNZ has tons of different shows for you to enjoy. If you want to hear how Aotearoa's migrant communities are coping with COVID-19, check out Voices. It's a show all about the experiences of minority communities. Thank you.